My name is Walter Cayley and I'm a professor of international law at the uh, Institute of Public Law at the University of Bern. I'm also the representative of the UN Secretary General on the Human Rights of Internally Displaced Persons and that's uh, the topic I'm going to talk about. What is the treatment of internally displaced persons in international law? What are their rights? And what does what we are going uh, to learn today tell us about how international law is created and uh, developed? The topic is an important one. If we just look at uh, the figures worldwide, we are counting something like 16 million refugees, people who have fled across international borders. At the same time, we are talking about 50 million internally displaced persons, persons who have been displaced within the borders of their own country. And fact is, there is no convention on the rights of the internally displaced persons. And if you look up all the many, many human rights conventions we have, the conventions on international humanitarian law, you will not find one single provision that would mention the term internally displaced persons. So what is the treatment of these persons in international law? My lecture is uh, divided into three parts. First, I would like uh, to look at some um, more preliminary questions. How do we define internally displaced persons? What is their factual situation? I then will move on, and this is the main topic of today's lecture, to the normative uh, framework. What are the conceptual foundations for protecting uh, the uh, displaced? And do we have any kind of an instrument that would help us in uh, providing uh, the needed uh, protection? I um, will then, in a third part, look at the way uh, forward. What are the next steps? What is international law contributing today to a better protection of this particularly vulnerable category of persons? Okay, let's start with uh, the first uh, question. Who are internally displaced persons and what is the basis for their protection? At the UN level, we use, in the absence of a legally binding definition, the following working definition of who an internally displaced person is. Uh, let me read it out. Internally displaced persons are, and I quote, persons or groups of persons who have been forced or obliged to flee or to leave their homes or places of habitual residence, in particular as a result of or in order to avoid the effects of armed conflict, situations of generalized violence, violations of human rights or natural or human-made disasters, and who have not crossed an internationally recognized state border. As you can see, there are three elements in this uh, definition. Uh, persons have uh, been uh, forced or obliged to flee or to leave. It means they didn't have any choice. It was not a voluntary uh, decision to leave. They had to uh, go away. Second, we have a series of causes that are mentioned, uh, things we would expect, uh, armed conflict, human rights violations. But the notion is very broad, also those displaced by disasters, whether natural or 
human-made uh, are uh, covered. And the list is not exhaustive. It can be any reason, uh, any uh, cause that uh, is, in fact, taking away uh, the choice from people to remain at home that would be relevant. And the third element, they flee, but they don't flee abroad. They remain inside their own country. I mentioned we're talking about roughly 50 million people who have been displaced uh, inside uh, their own countries. About half of them, 26 million, are victims of armed conflict and situations of generalized violence. The other half are those displaced in the aftermath of natural disasters. In the case of a flooding, you have to run away or the authorities are telling to evacuate. In the case of an earthquake, it depends on the situation. Many will maybe remain uh, where they usually live, but many have to go because everything is destroyed. It's not possible to continue life till uh, the village is rebuilt, the city is rebuilt, and then people can move back. That's the 50 million. In addition to those, we have an unknown number of people who are displaced by um, development projects. And here I'm not talking about those who are relocated uh, based on a correct, fair uh, procedure where it's determined whether relocation is legal, lawful, where they get compensation, where they are helped to restart lives. I'm talking about people who, in the name of development, are ordered to go away, to disappear, not to stand in the way of the new airport, the new road. We don't know what their number is. These internally displaced persons can be found all over the world. Just looking at uh, those displaced by armed conflict, we're talking about, as I said, 26 million. Half of them can be found in Africa. Africa is the continent of internal displacement. But all the other continents uh, have between two and a, and a half and four million uh, internally displaced persons. Latin America, only in a few countries. In Asia, scattered all over the continent, but also in Europe, in South Caucasus, in uh, the Balkans. What is it that is special about the internally displaced uh, persons? It's very clear if uh, they are displaced by armed conflict, they are part of the civilian population that is affected by armed conflict, a civilian population that is protected by international humanitarian law. But we have to see internally displaced persons are different from the non-displaced uh, part of the population. It doesn't mean that they are worse off than those who are not displaced. Sometimes Civilians caught in the middle of a battle who cannot flee are really in great danger and those who made it out are better off because at least they can find a minimum of security. But nevertheless, internally displaced persons have uh, very special needs, needs they do not share with the non-displaced populations. If you are not displaced, then you don't have to look for shelter. If you're not displaced, you don't have to leave behind all of your property. If you're not displaced, you're not from one day to the other losing 
all your livelihoods. If you're not displaced, but you have lost your birth certificate, your identity card, you go to the authorities and it's easily replaced. But if you're displaced, you're told you can't do it here. You have to go back home, but you can't, exactly because you're displaced. And in many countries, internally displaced persons lose their political rights. Again, it's a very normal thing. You have to cast your ballot at your place of residence. But by definition, a displaced person cannot go back to the place of uh, residence. So these people end up not being able to participate in elections. These are the displacement-specific needs these persons have. They also have specific vulnerabilities. We know that not in all situations, but very often, IDPs run a higher risk than the, those remaining at home, for instance, to become victims of gender-based violence. Camps are very dangerous places for girls and women. Internally displaced persons risk a higher, uh, uh, run a higher risk to become separated from family members. When people flee, it's often happening that the family is separated and then it's difficult to re-establish the ties, to reunite them. Very often, displaced children are excluded from education for very many different reasons. For instance, the local schools are overcrowded or you need to fulfill certain requirements. You need to have some documentation from the headmaster of your former school to be admitted to a school at a new place. But if you have to uh, flee, of course, you're not getting this document first. We know that IDPs run a higher risk than the non-displaced population to be without a job, without livelihoods. That's the situation. And it means internally displaced persons are particularly vulnerable. They are a particularly vulnerable group among uh, many others uh, that have uh, vulnerabilities and specific needs. But the question arises, are they protected by international law? And if yes, on what basis and to what extent? That's the second part of my lecture. As I have mentioned, there is not a single article in any of the human rights conventions or the uh, documents on international humanitarian law that specifically mention internally displaced persons. So how can we get to an appropriate normative framework? It's often said, well, these persons flee, so they are a kind of refugees. And we should, at least by analogy, apply refugee law to them. From a legal perspective, it's very important to see the difference between refugees on the one hand and internally displaced persons on the other hand. Who is a refugee? The 1951 Convention on the Status of Refugees in Article uh, uh, 1A, Paragraph 2, defines a refugee as, a, as persons who, owing to well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion, are outside the country of their nationality and are unable or owing to such fear unwilling to avail themselves of the protection of that country.
We have three elements here in the refugee definition. Well-founded fear of being persecuted. Second, being persecuted for very specific reasons, such as political opinion, race, religion. Second element, to be outside the country of uh, one's nationality or habitual residence. That's being abroad. And third, being unable to avail oneself of the protection of that country of origin. This means that refugees, to put it very simply, are people who flee to another country. They arrive there uninvited. They are unwanted aliens. And if they get into trouble with uh, the authorities of the country of refuge, they cannot turn to the authorities of the country of origin and ask them for diplomatic protection. The instrument we have in international law to protect aliens who get into trouble because a foreign government doesn't treat them the way uh, it uh, is supposed to treat them. So refugees are without rights. They are in a legal limbo. And this, this is the reason why already back uh, at the times of the League of Nations and then much more forcefully and much more comprehensively after World War II when uh, the 51 Convention on the Status of Refugees was adopted, UNHCR, the UN uh, uh, High Commissioner for Refugees and his office were created, that a concept was developed that we call international protection. Because as a point of departure, refugees are without any rights and in legal limbo, we need the international community to come in, to come in with specific norms, telling exactly to governments what the rights of refugees are, but also to come in institutionally with the Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees, an office that can provide substitute diplomatic protection, can intervene on behalf of refugees if they get into trouble. But what remains, remains. Refugees are foreigners. They don't have the same rights as the nationals of the country of refuge. And if you're looking at the 1951 convention, we can see that many of the rights uh, that are granted to them are rights uh, that are equivalent to the rights foreigners in that country get. If you would apply refugee law by analogy to internally displaced persons, what would it mean? It would mean that these people who have not left their own country, who are citizens of that country, end up as second-class citizens, lose their rights. For instance, property rights are weakly protected by the Refugee Convention. However, if you're not leaving your own country, you should have exactly the same property rights as the rest of the population. And because IDPs usually leave their property behind, and it's often taken over by others, and they need then to have the protection of the law to get that property restituted once the conflict is over, it is important so they have exactly the same rights as everyone else in the country. It would fundamentally weaken the legal position of internally displaced persons if we would apply refugee law uh, to them, either directly or by analogy.
they are not refugees, even though their experience is very often the same as that of uh, refugees. So, what is the protection available to them? I've mentioned internally displaced persons are persons who have not left their own country. So normally they are citizens of that country, sometimes uh, habitual residents of that country, stateless persons who have uh, been living there for a long time. But let's focus here for the purposes of this lecture on uh, those uh, internally displaced persons who are citizens of that country. As citizens of the country, of course, they can invoke all the guarantees under international human rights law, under international humanitarian law during times of armed conflict that are available to the population in the country concerned. And with this, I could close this lecture and say the problem is solved. We have identified the body of law that is protecting uh, the internally displaced persons. It's international human rights law, it's international humanitarian law. But it's not as simple as that. Because if you're looking at uh, all these conventions, then, as I had mentioned, we don't find answers that help us to really come uh, to a conclusion regarding the specific needs and vulnerabilities of the internally displaced persons. For instance, is there a human rights prohibition to displace uh, persons? Maybe the gut reaction is to say, yes, of course you can't do that. Kick people out of their homes, force them. But then if you think about it, there are circumstances where this is valid, lawful, even warranted. Think about a natural disaster, flooding, and the authorities are ordering evacuation of populations that are at risk. It's the duty of the authorities to protect the lives of the population. And if these people are not moving them uh, on their own, then an evacuation can be ordered. So it's not as easy as it seems. And that's uh, the big uh, problem. And this was the problem the international community was faced with in the early 1990s, when uh, the UN became aware of the fact there are so many internally displaced persons in principle, we know that they are protected by international human rights law, international humanitarian law, but we do not really know exactly what it means. At that time, my predecessor in the office of the representative of the UN Secretary General on the human rights of internally displaced persons was asked by the then UN Human Rights Commission to study uh, this question and to develop an appropriate normative framework. He asked a group of uh, legal experts from uh, different parts of the world to come together to analyze existing human rights and humanitarian law and to draw from this rich body of law those provisions that are relevant for the internally displaced persons. The result is an important document. It's a document called The Guiding Principles on Internal Displacement. These guiding principles on internal displacement, displacement had been submitted uh, to the UN Human Rights uh, Commission in 1998. So this year we are celebrating uh, the 10th uh, anniversary. 
And uh, this is a document that has become the point of reference all over the world when we are talking about the treatment of internally displaced uh, persons. So let me tell a little bit about uh, the uh, content and uh, the legal nature of uh, this uh, document. The point of departure is principle number three, which uh, says that the primary responsibility for protecting and assisting internally displaced persons lies with the governments. So the point of departure is the responsibility, the obligations of states vis-a-vis their own internally displaced uh, populations. This is important because on the one hand, this principle admits that uh, these persons are not primarily of international concern because they have not crossed international borders. They are primarily of concern uh, to uh, the government of the country uh, concerned, which is sovereign which is uh, exercising sovereignty over the population on its territory. But this is not a sovereignty that uh, means you can do whatever you want. This is a concept of sovereignty as responsibility. The responsibility of a government to protect and assist its populations in need, including the internally displaced persons. Building on that idea, the guiding principles on internal displacement set out uh, the different guarantees uh, the internally displaced uh, persons have that are relevant uh, for their protection and assistance. The first part uh, talks about protection from displacement. Are there any prohibitions to displace uh, people? Are there circumstances when it is lawful to do that? The question I just raised before. A second part of the guiding principles, and that's the main body of the document, talks about protection during displacement, after the flight and before people can return. A third part talks about humanitarian assistance and um, the role of the international community in providing such humanitarian assistance, but also the role of uh, the governments to admit or to exclude such humanitarian assistance. Here the guiding principles very clearly say a government has a right to authorize, to impose a requirement of authorization for humanitarian access for organizations coming from the outside. But such authorization must not be uh, denied on arbitrary grounds, meaning in situations where the government is either unwilling or unable to provide the necessary assistance, but the humanitarian needs are there and they are important, they are pressing. The fourth part of the document talks about return, resettlement to another part of the country, reintegration, meaning about how to find solutions to being displaced, how to end displacement. These guiding principles are based upon and they reflect existing international law. They spell out in more detail what is implicit in these human rights guarantees from which they draw their authority. Let me give an example. 
Let me give the example of uh, the prohibition of arbitrary displacement, as it is called in these guiding principles. In fact, the guiding principles um, do contain here a guarantee that cannot be found with this kind of wording in any of the existing binding instruments. But the guiding principles uh, are, as I said, based upon and reflect existing hard law. Let's have a look at uh, the text. We are talking about principle six of the guiding uh, principles. Principle six of the guiding principle says that every human being shall have the right to be protected against being arbitrarily displaced from his or her home or place of habitual residence. And then we have an art, uh, uh, paragraph two. The provision of arbitrary displacement includes displacement A when it is based on policies of apartheid, ethnic cleansing, or similar practices aimed at or resulting in altering the ethnic, religious, or racial composition of the affected population. B, in situations of armed conflict, unless the security of the civilians involved or imperative military reasons so demand. D, uh, C, in cases of large-scale development projects which are not justified by compelling and overriding public interests. D, in cases of disasters, unless the safety and health of those affected requires their evacuation. And E, when it is used as a collective punishment. If we analyze uh, this uh, provision and its elements, the rule, it's prohibited to displace people arbitrarily, meaning without any justification that is based on law, legitimate and proportional, then uh, we are in a situation of a violation of the rights of uh, the IDPs. Paragraph two, as I have said, then lists examples of such arbitrary uh, displacement. This article is a synthesis of many, many provisions that are scattered that can be found in different instruments. For instance, in international human rights law, in international human rights law, more uh, specifically Article 12 of the International Covenant on Civil and uh, Political uh, Rights, we find a guarantee of liberty of movement and freedom to choose one's own place of residence. This is, of course, uh, primarily meant um, to be applied in the context where someone wants to move. But the right to choose one's own place of residence certainly also contains the right to opt for not moving, the right to opt for staying where one is, to staying at home. And displacement, as we have seen, is the opposite to exercising this right uh, to remain at one's place of residence. Human rights law, for instance, um, the uh, covenant on economic, uh, social and uh, cultural rights contains a uh, guarantee to adequate housing right to adequate housing as an aspect of the uh, right to an adequate standard of living, Article 11 of the um, Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. 
This guarantee prohi prohibits forced evictions. Evictions that, again, are not based on law, do not serve legitimate grounds. That's one element. Two, a overall notion of uh, a prohibition of arbitrary displacement. We have several prohibitions and guarantees in international humanitarian law. Article uh, 49 of the Force Geneva Convention, Article 78 of Additional Protocol 1, and um, Article uh, 17 of Protocol 2 uh, prohibit uh, deportations, evacuations, or transfers of people uh, where neither imperative military necessity nor the security of uh, civilians uh, would uh, justify uh, such population transfers. The third source of law for Guiding Principle 6, the prohibition of arbitrary displacement, can be found in international criminal law. There we have now in the Rome Statute the crimes of forcible deportation of the civilian population, uh, for instance, in occupied territories, forced movement of populations, although neither imperative military necessity nor the safety of the people uh, demand it. And these are war crimes. We uh, also have deportation or transfer of the civilian population as a crime against humanity in Article 7 of the Rome Statute. If you try to make a synthesis of all these different norms, then you end up with Principle 6, the prohibition of arbitrary displacement. This is the technique that was used throughout the guiding principles. I've explained this in some detail because the guiding principles are not a binding instrument. They have not been negotiated by governments. It's a text that has been developed by experts. On the request of governments, yes, but it's an expert text. So it does not derive its authority from the way it was created, but it derives its authority from its content, from the fact that the text is based on existing hard law and brings out in detail what is implicit in the existing uh, instruments. This is interesting because this is a way to develop law, to state, restate law, that uh, does not follow the traditional pattern of the sources of international law, treaty, custom, general principles of international law. It is a kind of soft law. Soft law to the extent uh, that it has a recommendatory character, but law to the extent that its content is, as I said, well grounded in existing uh, international uh, law. And we have seen that uh, this uh, modality of uh, developing, of formulating rules, provisions, has met the consensus of governments. At least after some time. At the beginning, some governments were not really happy with the fact that the text had not been negotiated by uh, uh, governments in an intergovernmental process. But in 2005, when uh, the heads of states and governments uh, assembled here in New York for the World Summit, they adopted a very important uh, document, the um, World Summit Outcome Document, 
And this document in paragraph 132 says that we, the governments, recognize the guiding principles as important international framework for the protection of internally displaced persons. And since then, we can say, even though this is not a binding treaty, it is an authoritative document. And as I had said, all over the world, it is today the point of reference for protecting uh, the rights of IDPs. Of course, we do not have the time to go into the details, and I would like to encourage you to have a look at it. It's not a very long text. It's 30 principles. They are easy to read, easy to understand. They are used uh, by um, practitioners all over the world, not only by the lawyers, be it um, national authorities, sometimes local authorities, the humanitarian workers, but what is most encouraging by the internally displaced persons themselves. When I, in my capacity as representative of the Secretary General on the human rights of internally displaced persons and visiting countries, I always make it a point to spend a lot of time with uh, displaced populations. And I've seen how often they, in fact, know uh, these documents and say, well, we are in bad shape. Our governments don't treat us well. The insurgents uh, endanger us, attack us. But at least we know what our rights are. At least we know that what they are doing is not just is a violation of our human rights. So it's also an instrument empowering uh, these vulnerable populations. Let me come uh, to the conclusions. Let me come um, to um, the way forward. It is good to have uh, this document, uh, the guiding principles on um, internal uh, displacement, bringing together all the relevant uh, norms uh, that internally displaced persons need to be able to invoke in order to get the protection and assistance uh, they uh, deserve. But it's not sufficient. If we really want uh, to protect and assist uh, these people, we need more. We need a stronger legal uh, framework. And again, remember the huge number, 50 million people. And we know many of them are in very, very uh, problematic situations. So what can we do? The obvious solution would be to propose a convention on the rights of internally displaced persons to be adopted by the United Nations. I must confess, I don't think that uh, this would be a very promising pass today. It's still a rather contentious issue. It would be difficult to find a consensus. And that's why I think there is a better way. The way uh, would be to try to build consensus on, normative, on normativity bottom up. To try to start to work at the lowest level the domestic level. And what I see, and this is encouraging, is that nowadays, not all, but some and more and more states that are faced with a problem of internal displacement have adopted national laws, national policies on the protection and assistance of internally displaced persons. And uh, many of these uh, texts, in fact, do explicitly uh, reflect uh, the um, guiding uh, principles. I could quote here uh, the um, National Strategy for Internally Displaced Persons of um, Georgia, 
that says in implementing uh, this strategy, national and local authorities shall respect not only the constitution and legislation along with international human rights uh, and international human rights law, but also uh, they should take into account the United Nations guiding principles on internal displacement. That's the way to do. That's the way to proceed. States should incorporate the guiding principles into their domestic laws. This provides us with a solid legal foundation. Regional organizations have a very important role to play. And some of them have played an important role. The Council of Europe, for instance, adopted in the year 2006 recommendation number six on uh, internally displaced persons. And again, it uh, stressed that the commitment of the European states uh, to act in the spirit and in accordance with the provisions of uh, the United Nations guiding uh, principles and expressed the willingness of member states uh, to implement them at the domestic uh, level. We can go one step further and Africa already has done that step. In uh, Eastern Africa, in the Great Lakes region, the um, governments there, we are talking about uh, a group of uh, 11 states, have adopted a, a protocol on uh, the protection and assistance of internally displaced uh, persons in the Great Lakes region. This convention, this is a binding convention, obliges states to incorporate the guiding principles into their domestic laws. And right now, as we speak, the African Union is in the process of negotiating and adopting a Convention on the Protection and Assistance of Internally Displaced Persons in Africa. This would be a big step forward. This would be the first comprehensive binding convention on internally displaced persons, drafted in a way that is adapted to the specific circumstances of Africa. I hope that other regions will follow uh, that uh, model and then maybe the time will be ripe to go one step further, build on that experience and talk about a UN uh, convention. Challenges are huge. I've been talking during this lecture a lot about those displaced by armed conflict, but let's not forget those displaced by natural disasters. Here too, human rights law applies, but again, what does it mean very specifically? I'm happy uh, to see that the uh, International Law Commission of the United Nations has embarked on a project entitled Protection of Persons in the Event of Disasters. This project will hopefully lead to a new set of legal provisions protecting those affected by natural disasters and among them also those displaced by these natural disasters. And that's particularly important today when you are facing the challenges of the effects of climate change. Because one of the effects of climate change are natural disasters, are environmental degradations that do cause internal uh, displacement. So we, the lawyers, do have a role in uh, protecting the rights of the IDPs, in further developing uh, the law, but then also in helping to apply it to implement it, because in the end, implementation, application to the men, the women, the children I so often meet all over the world, that's really the test. 
And as I said, I am convinced that we do have the tools today available in present international law to help to assist and protect the human rights of the internally displaced persons. Thank you.